Welcome to the Citation Podcast with me, Michael Brown, Citation's Health and Safety Content Manager. Today, we're going to be talking about the subject of vibration and how it may affect you in your workplace. I'm joined again today with Heather Dunning, who heads up our specialist vibration team. But actually, Heather, I undersold you in the last episode where I mentioned about the air monitoring team. Do you want to tell our audience what you actually get up to? Yeah, so I am the team leader for the vibration, air and noise services that we sell to clients and that also includes the face fit testing. Part of our services is to go out and carry out um, noise monitoring, vibration monitoring, um, air monitoring and also face fit testing for our clients. So I um, assist the consultants who carry out these services, um, I liaise with the lab when it comes to air monitoring um, I do also carry out these services for our clients as well as quality checking the reports and other several services like that. And just to ensure that the service that we provide is of good quality to our clients. Well, I'm really grateful to you for taking the time out of your day, to be honest, to come and help me with this because it's a it's a growing area. Again, with the HC, I think they're according to the Industrial Industries Disablement Benefit Scheme, easy for me to say, uh, statistics, there were 120 people, I think, in 2020 who were assessed as being disabled due to hand-on vibration and carpal tunnel syndrome. So this is actually quite a topical area. And one of the other things is the HC strategy that they published back in, I think it was May now, um, mentions that they one of their number one priorities is to reduce work-related ill health. And again, we've spoken about this, I think, in the last uh, episode where we covered air. And uh, it was actually the fact that the HC is starting to move their focus from being very, very much focused on the safety aspect, so making sure inspections are done, making sure that you're lifting equipment certified, to the health aspect, so vibration, as we're talking today, monitoring, air monitoring, lung function, and even stress as well. So there's a lot of things that they're currently covering off. So I've likely used the abbreviations HABS and WBV in podcasts before, but I may not have explained it particularly well. I'm going to hand that over to you, Heather. Can you explain what those acronyms mean for our listeners? Yeah, so HAVS is hand arm vibration syndrome and um, WBV is whole body vibration. So with vibration, there's two types of vibration that employees can be exposed to. Um, the first one is obviously HAVS, so that's through um, handheld um tools so it's where the vibrations transmitted into people's hands um, from using vibrating equipment and then whole body vibration is where the vibrations transmitted um, through the seat of a vehicle for example so for someone who's sitting down driving a vehicle um, and the vibration can get into their body. Thanks for explaining that Herbert. So as an employer if I had a, a number of workers um, that I employed to do various tasks how would that manifest itself? How would I be able to identify um, what the symptoms were, for instance, from hand-on vibration syndrome or um, from whole body vibration syndrome? Well, for example, with hand-on vibration syndrome, um, if anyone's using kind of some grinders or hedge trimmers or anything like that, the vibration, when it goes into the hands, um, workers will often feel and experience symptoms. So the symptoms in workers would be um, experiencing problems with their hands. So, for example, they could experience blanching, which is where the tips of the fingers turn white, especially when it's cold. Um, sometimes they can um, 
have less sensitivity in the hands as well. The symptoms with whole body vibration would be um, fatigue, lower back pain and musculoskeletal injuries and also um, dizziness as well. Thanks, Heather. So certain cases of hand-on vibration syndrome and all cases of vibration-related carpal tunnel syndrome have to be reported to the HSE in accordance with the reporting of injuries, diseases and dangerous occurrence regulations. That's RIDOR for short. And as part of that as well, they need to be linked to an exposure at work. But other than that, and obviously it's a really good incentive for employers to manage this correctly if they've got to get in touch with the HSE, why... Why is it important to measure vibration exposure, Heather? To ensure the health of employees, so to make sure that by them carrying out work and using vibrating tools in their workplace um, isn't putting them at risk. Um, Also to reduce the likelihood of civil claims. So in the future, um, the company doesn't want to receive a claim from an employee who's been working there. Um, And also because it's a legal requirement um, under the Control of Vibration at Work Regulations 2005, um, it states that employers need to carry out a risk assessment um, to ensure uh, that suitable controls are in place so that employees' health isn't put at risk. You've actually, you know, you've you've um, asked, you've answered my next question, which was actually going to be what what does the law require employers to do? So you've mentioned about doing the risk assessment and um, making sure vibration risks are controlled. What is there anything else it requires employers to do? Yeah, so employers need to make sure that they provide information, instruction, and training to all employees so that they're aware of the risks. Um, in relation to vibration and also the actions being taken to control the risk. Um, The other thing that employers need to do is carry out um, health surveillance. So this is to ensure that there's ongoing monitoring um, to monitor the health of employees. So that's actually quite a good little segue there again, because the vibration regulations, I think they include some exposure action and exposure limit values. Now, I'm going to be honest, if I try and explain these, I'm probably going to go round and round in circles. So I'm going to, again, it's a good job we've got an expert with us. I'm going to hand it back to you, Heather. So explain to us what what that all means. So basically, the employee's duties um, is to reduce the risk from vibration to the lowest level as reasonably practicable. Um, So that's to reduce it um, if it's above the exposure action value, which is 2.5 metres per second squared. Um, The exposure limit value, uh, which is 5 metres per second squared, um, is basically where the employer shouldn't allow exposures to exceed that level. So it's a little bit like the um, noise regulations in a weird way, actually, because you've got those different action values there. So the two and a half metres per second and the five metres per second squared, in effect, that's just they're trying to put a measurement, aren't they, on how quickly the tool or whatever it is, the object vibrates up, down, left, right, back to front, however you want it. It's hard, isn't it, to get that into actually to put that across. So, um, yeah, and you've done a really eloquent job there, I think. So having spoken about these limit values, can we put it into industries that might affect our listeners? So uh, are there any particular ones that um, come to mind that they may not have considered? And what are the most common uh, customers that we have? We usually um, go to a lot of clients, um, such as construction sites, um, a lot of engineering um, industries. But there's also industries that we go to, um, such as like maintenance teams. So, for example, we we did have one client who um, 
it was a town council and they was using vibrating equipment on a graveyard. So to strim um, around the gravestones, use the lawnmowers, etc. And we went out to find out the vibration of them tools that they were using. That's interesting, actually, because if you're, I suppose, taking the, it's quite a left field example there, actually, taking that sort of grave um, example, it's quite technical because they're going to be holding on to those tools for a lot longer because yeah. they've got a lot of, well, it sounds a bit morbid saying this, but they've got a lot of obstacles to work their way around. Yeah. Um, so in actual fact, it's probably different doing that sort of uh, task in a graveyard as opposed to somewhere like an open golf course or somewhere like that. Yes. What were the findings from there? Did you um, did you need to make any recommendations or? Yes. So after the... Um the monitoring, um, a lot of the recommendations um, was basically simple tasks um, that they could do to reduce the vibration. So if it was reasonably practicable, they could um, change the equipment that they were using for something that vibrates at a lower rate. Um, They could also put into place job rotation. So um, rather than one person kind of covering one area and they could take it in turns just to reduce the exposure time. So really you're following the hierarchy of control aren't you which I think we covered off in the previous one so if you can you eliminate the hazard and then you take reasonably practical steps all the way down and usually at the bottom of that so you've got your administrative controls there where you're talking about job rotation there's usually a bit on PPE isn't there that we say at the bottom of the um, it's like an inverted pyramid um, for those who are struggling to sort of imagine what the hierarchy looks like Um, but in this case with vibrating tools we don't tend to there's a lot of you tend to get anti-vibration gloves and stuff but I think the evidence the jury's out on whether they're effective or not isn't it in that case so yeah they're not really that effective and they're really good when it comes to the winter months for keeping people's hands warm um, and that can often help um the effects of vibration so blanching if people's hands are cold they're more likely to experience symptoms so gloves are a good control measure and to keep hands warm but not necessarily in reducing vibration fantastic well actually if if um employers were sort of listening to this and thinking I don't actually know. We've got a lot of different tools. We've bought some of them back in the early 2000s, some of them we bought last week. And actually, they might be thinking, we've always gone for the cheapest or we've always gone for this brand because we know it's a good brand and they last a long time. But they might not have selected it thinking about how much noise does it output, how much vi- how much does it shake, how much vibration is there. How would um, how would they look for that information? And is that something they could get hold of before perhaps making their next purchasing decision? Yeah, so the manufacturer of the tool has to provide um, a vibration magnitude from that tool. So they can actually get in touch with the manufacturer and find out what that is. Um, and from there, they can obviously make the assessment and find out their daily exposure. I've seen that being done actually before, and particularly with a low risk sort of vibration equipment or where it's a very small sort of site, perhaps with a couple of employees, things like that, where it's more of a paper based solution where they'll look at the vibration output from the tools, from the user data, and then they'll measure the times it's used and then they'll do the calculations using the HC's uh, calculation data. But of course, there's a number of weaknesses there because you've got to you've really got to rely on your supervision making sure that you um involve the workers which again you always should i'm a big advocate for involving workers but the um yeah the main disadvantage is you're 
absolutely relying on their accounts of how often they use it and how it's used. Yeah. So any variation from that, you're not really getting a real time sort of thing. So, I mean, we I think we only do hand arm vibration monitoring at citation at yeah. the moment how would how does your service how does our service differ and um, how would you do how would you actually do a vibration exposure monitoring is there any sort of i'm imagining some sort of bit of technical kit that you might attach to things how does it work so when we um carry out vibration assessments um, we'll have our own hand arm vibration monitor um and basically, we will ask the employee um, to use use the vibrating tool for us. So they usually get a scrap piece of material to use the tool on. Um, attached to the hand-arm vibration monitor, is um, it's called an accelerometer. And we basically attach that to the tool um, roughly where the hand would be. Um, sometimes it can be a bit difficult for the person to use the tool if they've got something in the way. Um, but we need it as close as we can to where they actually would be using it. Um, they basically use the tool um, we'll take the reading and then once it's finished the reading will appear on the meter and that's that tool done really we'll move on to the next one once we've obviously got all the data um, and providing the the client has provided us with trigger times and we can actually work out the daily exposure for each employee so when you talk about the trigger times I think my understanding of that is that's the amount of time that the employee usually has their finger on the trigger activating the tool yes i think a lot of time people interpret that as being the amount of time you can use the tool for before you reach your exposure limit which is incorrect isn't it yeah that's right brilliant and looking at it this way as well could could you for example if you wanted to get uh, a worst case scenario so for example an employee always uses one set of tool their job is to yeah, grind off swarf or something from a piece of metal all day every day could you get a full day sort of reading from that to give them real-time information in the same sort of way does it have to be multiple tools or could it just be one for the whole day it can just be one for the whole day um, if it is one for the full day um, it'll depend on the vibration level um, if it's a tool that vibrates quite a lot it might be the case that they can only use that tool for one hour a day and um, so it can really um, dramatically affect the day if the tool's not being maintained or if it's a really old piece of equipment that um it vibrates a lot just because it's so old so yeah and um, we, we can do it for people who just use one tool over the their full shift i remember visiting sites before and there'd be people there who have got tools that looked as though they've been in the family for generations <laughs> and they're like oh it will outlive you this and i'm thinking yeah. it will but it will for, you know it will end your ability to grip anything yeah and um, people get attached to things and i think the point about maintenance was really key actually because this is the other weakness when we look at the vibration magnitudes and the paper-based exercise i said earlier because when it left the factory providing it was a quality item it will meet the vibration magnitude in the manual yeah. um, but if it's been dropped if it's used and abused um, or even if it just gets old over time the likelihood is it will shake more so you, you can't guarantee yeah. that so is it important to go back and revisit these occasionally just to you know, make sure that things are still within 
people aren't getting overexposed. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it could even be um, some control measures. It could even be kind of like the blade has gone blunt and that's why it's causing so much vibration. So it could just be changing the blade that could just make so much of a difference. Um, but it is really important to review the assessments um, and, and, and the monitoring of that, um, not only for the health of, of your employees, but just to make sure that you're also doing a, a good job and, and making quality products with with good pieces of equipment. I think that's really important, actually, because, again, when you're looking at, yeah, as a business, one of the things the HSE like to look at is, are you managing the risk? And if you do something once yeah. and then never do it again, you've got no way of sort of going, yes, we're looking at this at, at regular intervals. It's one of those things they always say it's suitable and sufficient intervals. And I'm always asked, what does that mean? Yeah. And I always have to say, well, what's a piece of string? You know, how yeah. long is it? it? It really varies depending on what you're looking at. Yeah. So there's probably now, you know, hopefully we haven't spooked people too much, but there's probably a few listeners now thinking... Okay, you know, Heather, you mentioned that it might be that this employee who's paid currently to do this all day can only use the tool for an hour or yeah. so. How you know, are there ways that um, that businesses can balance out a potential loss in productivity versus their workers' well-being? There's always the what is reasonably practicable, mm-hmm. but I think bearing in mind the HC's new um, focus on worker health. And bearing in mind, you know, the fact that a lot of companies, we mentioned tools, maintenance, there are a lot of cheap steps they can take to reduce this. Are there any other measures that you can think of um, that perhaps our listeners might need to hear about? Um, There's a few different ways, really. I mean, the main thing is to follow the hierarchy of control. Um, So when it comes to elimination, um, see if you can subcontract that that work that takes one person all day. Um, if you if you subcontract that work, you've immediately eliminated that person's risk. Um, so it's just basically working through the hierarchy of control, um, and that is something that we can help with um, if we were to do your 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 vibration monitoring. Um, and it'd just be to work through that basically to find out what's reasonably practicable for that company. Um, and, and to look at different ways and their specific job and their tasks that they do to see how we can reduce it. That's interesting, actually. Coming at this from a sort of engineering point of view, you do quite often have to deburr things. So that's where you've got a bit of metal sticking on. And sometimes you get that if it's come out of a CNC machine, so one of the um, computerised sort of lathes. And a simple way of eliminating the need to do that might actually be to look at the programming of that lathe and see if actually the machine can do it itself. So you don't have that step. Um, Because it's also the cumulative sort of exposure that people get. And speak of that, I suppose, like you say, the hierarchy of control, you could reduce the amount of time people are spending. Yeah. or I suppose actually job sharing is another way. You might have other employees that are trained on the equipment. It doesn't just have to be you know, Bob or Jenny or whoever's down there grinding all day. Yeah, that's it. So another thing that the employer could do um, is look at automating their process. Um, so that again, that'll immediately eliminate, eliminate the risk. Um, other things that employers could do um, will be looking for ways that will avoid or reduce the need to hold the vibrating um, equipment. Um, considering vibration emissions when purchasing um, or even hiring new um, equipment. They could also keep an inventory of the equipment that they use and its vibration emission. So if they know they've got a really high vibrating tool, um, they should know kind of like to use that tool last, use something else first. Um, so yeah, there's many 
there's, there's many controls that can be put into place. I think one of the key things about this is going to be having that knowledge, like you say, that um, mentioning the spreadsheet. If you know that certain bits of kit vibrate the most, actually making workers aware. So this needs to find its way into people's risk assessments. Um, it's probably a good idea to have posters up on the walls as well, or even you know, notices on the, on the kit itself, um, just to make sure that people are aware. I think other simple steps, you mentioned earlier about carpal tunnel um, mm. and white finger and um, the blanching of the hands. It's probably safe to say, you know, providing gloves, things like that, if they're working in cold conditions in the winter. Not yeah. necessarily anti-vibration ones, because we discussed the researchers, the jury's out on that. But, um, you yeah, know, just making sure that people's hands are warm and dry. Um, and also taking regular breaks, I suppose, as well. Actually yeah. giving giving people's, um, you yeah, know, the chance to recover. So have you got any final thoughts on additional controls or practical steps that our listeners could take? I suppose the only other thing that um, they could really look at um, is would be to organise their work and um, design the workstations to avoid uncomfortable postures to employees. Um, so that could involve avoiding the need for high manual effort to grip or to pull or to push the equipment. So you mentioned about the workstations there. That's actually really another thing that the HC are looking at, and that's the whole ergonomics. And that fits quite nicely into the sort of believe it or not listeners the stress area um, because the HCR is starting to enforce on that too and poor ergonomics poor workplace layout poor tool equipment anything that adds stress to your workday um, you know, will also need to be factored in so Heather I, I think that's been really useful for our listeners thank you very much for joining us today thank you for having me you're very welcome and thanks to our listeners as well for joining us I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode on vibration monitoring and please stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Remember, if you need the backing of citations experts on any of the topics we've covered, please get in touch with us at podcasts at citation.co.uk. Bye.